As we continue in our summer study of the Psalms, uh, we are skipping ahead from Psalm 12 to 40, Psalm 47. And uh, if you wonder uh, what is the rhyme or reason for which psalm that I choose, well, that's between me and the Lord. Uh, I, I, I pray about it. I seek the Lord's direction. And uh, this is a psalm that we're, I've chosen for today. And I also I certainly thought about, of course, uh, this holiday that we're celebrating uh, tomorrow, the 4th of July, our, the independence of our nation, giving thanks. Um, and this psalm has to do with God as king, not only over this nation, but over all nations, as we will see. But I think it has uh, bearing, certainly, for us today in this nation. Psalm 47 to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves, Salah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. May the Lord receive honor, glory, and praise As we read and as the word of God is preached today, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this portion of your holy inspired word. We thank you, Lord, that it does exalt you as our great king. Oh, Lord, may we learn what it means for our lives and for our nation and for the nations of the world that our God is the king of all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 47 surely is one that I had read before uh, this week, but like every scripture passage that I study and prepare to preach on, I learned so much about it, and it it comes to light. Uh, And and this one is an amazing passage of the exaltation of God as sovereign king over the earth, and it is a call to praise. Praise. A song of praise, calling us to sing, calling us to praise. And the the psalmist, whose identity is unknown, exhorts not only the people of Israel, not only those uh, of that nation, uh, but all nations to worship the true, the one true God who is king over all. Uh, Backing up a little bit as we think about uh, the nation of Israel Remember how that got started? God chose one person. He he began with Abraham, who was living in a pagan land. He was living in Ur of the Chaldees. It was a Babylonian territory. And his family didn't know the Lord. They worshipped other gods. But God decides to call Abraham, who was Abram, of course, at that time, 
And in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So at the the very beginning of this nation that God uh, would form uh, from Abraham, God had a view to bless all peoples. Uh, He told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and that his descendants would be like the sand of the the sea, uh, as, as many as the stars of the sky. And so he established Israel so that through Israel, all nations would eventually come to bless and praise God, the true and living God, the God of Abraham. Uh, So Psalm 47 is a picture, really, of the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. God is seated on his sovereign throne. He's ruling over all the nations and... They, in turn, bow before him in adoration and praise. And so this psalm is is really something that had not yet occurred um, when it was written. Uh, This is a picture of the future, the coming future. And it was looking forward, and and yet it was given to God's people so that they would be encouraged when things weren't going so great. uh, when when things were difficult, Psalm 47 certainly would be would have been a support to Israel once uh, they were taken captive and they were in exile. Uh, and this psalm will be an encouragement to us uh, as the Church of Jesus Christ goes through times of persecution and trials, uh, surrounded by evil, as we perhaps find ourselves in our own day. But this scene. Uh, in Psalm 47 will certainly come to pass. Uh, it, it is being brought to pass even now, but its fulfillment one day uh, we will all see. There are two sections in this psalm, and they are similar uh, to each other. Uh, the first section in, it begins in verse 1 with a call to praise, and then two, verses 2 to 5 give reasons for praise, and then Uh, In verse 6, we have another call to praise with singing, followed by more reasons for such praise in verses 7 through 9. So uh, as we study this psalm, we look first at at the the first call to praise in verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Yes, we are Presbyterians. We don't do much clapping and even less shouting. Uh, You know, for us to what would it take for Presbyterians to clap and shout? Maybe it would take what we're reading about in this very, very psalm, Psalm 47, uh, of God subduing the nations and bringing all peoples to bow before him in praise. What a sight, what a reality. Uh, And we ought to uh, clap and shout at such such a scene. Uh, We have been given a description of something that is certainly going to happen. This ought to stir us up. This ought to get us excited. And And yet we look around at the state of the world and the state of the church, and we're tempted to get discouraged, aren't we? 
Uh, things don't look so great. But look at Psalm 47. Uh, this is this is what we have to look forward to. Uh, and there's you see, there's no reason for us to be sad when we see the ultimate victory uh, that this psalm proclaims. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. OK, there's no defeatism here. Uh, it, it, there's no room for it. And so we rejoice by faith, uh, just as the psalmist uh, d- did, urged Israel to do even in their captivity. And remember, he's not only calling Israel, he's calling all nations to praise the Lord. You know, often we who live in the United States, uh, it's been said of Americans, you know, that we kind of tend to forget the rest of the world. We think about ourselves and, and not so much other countries. And even if we do, we still think that we're superior. And in many ways, we can we can say, yes, the U.S. has been very, very blessed, um, and I'm glad to live here myself. Uh, but, but sometimes, as Christians, we somehow think of our own nation as if we were God's chosen nation today. Well, uh, we need to remember God's chosen nation today is his worldwide kingdom, okay, which is made up of many nations. Uh, we're not the only nation in the world. We're certainly not the only nation that has Christians living in it. But this idea of clapping and shouting, uh, we're not so comfortable maybe doing it in worship. But, you know, and I can't help but think of the the football games, right, that are coming this fall. Uh, Isn't it amazing that that countless Presbyterians will actually be clapping and shouting? (laughs) I mean, they can do it, right? Uh, It can be done uh, whenever their team scores or wins a game. So it is appropriate to have enthusiasm, okay, uh, for the Lord in his kingdom. And uh, what does heaven do when one sinner repents? It rejoices. Can you imagine the exuberance of the angels and the saints in heaven when a sinner repents and gets saved here on earth? And, And certainly we ought to be excited and praise the Lord when we see Things happening today, even in our nation, uh, the overturning of a horrible uh, decision that was made 50 years ago, Roe versus Wade. We ought to get excited when uh, a football coach in the state of Washington is vindicated in his freedom to pray to God on the field, win or lose. At the end of the game, you see, God is at work in, in some ways that we can see. He's at work in many ways, perhaps, that we don't see. And uh, But as we look, beginning in verse 2, uh, 2 through 5, let's look at some of the reasons the psalmist gives us for praising our great king. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. So God, first of all, is the Most High And uh, that means he is above uh, all others, all other things, all other people, uh, whether it be in power, dominion, wisdom, authority, glory. You can't get any higher than most high. Uh, He is higher than we can imagine. Uh, So great is our God. And there's nothing that comes even close Because everything that exists is his creation, right? So anything that you compare him to is something he himself has made. 
and uh, and he gets the glory for that. So uh, the Most High God is awesome. Other translations uh, say terrible. The older ones say terrible, and the Hebrew word simply means uh, something to that you know commands fear, reverence, awe, honor, and respect. So God alone is awesome. And we probably should use that word less for other things that aren't really that awesome, not when we think of our God. Uh, He is a great king. Why? Because he doesn't merely rule over one nation, but he rules over all the earth. He rules over all things. He's sovereign. He is a sovereign God. A.W. Pink remarked that God's sovereignty is the foundation of Christian theology the center of gravity in the system of Christian truth, the sun around which all the lesser orbs are grouped. The sovereignty of God is central to our faith, our beliefs, our doctrine. You know, a lot of people, including Christians, have had difficulty with this doctrine of sovereignty, uh, that, that God controls all things from the, the, the least to the greatest. Um, so how can God be sovereign in a world where evil seems to triumph. Um, Again, this is something that we must accept by faith. The sovereignty of God is clearly taught in Scripture, and yet it's hard for us to see uh, exactly uh, how it works out. Well, again, the question is asked, why does God allow so much evil in a world if he's, if he's in full control. Well, he permits evil, he allows evil, and he uses evil for his purpose, his eternal purpose. And um, we may not be able to figure that out, exactly how that's working. Uh, and yet one day we know that God is going to judge all evil. He's going to deal with it in perfect justice. For now, um, we... They say we're, we, we don't fully understand, and that's okay. And we have to, to just accept it by faith. What we do know is that he is the ruler of this world, and he's working his purpose out. Verse 3, he will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. Now, this was literally true with Joshua as he, with the conquest of the land of Canaan. Uh, the nations were put under their feet. It was literally true when King David led armies in victory uh, over the surrounding nations. It's true in a spiritual sense. With the coming of Jesus Christ into this world, the apostles took the gospel, not only to the Jews, yes, to the Jews first, but uh, to the nations, to the Gentiles. uh, and, And Gentiles across the globe, which is includes us today, most of us, uh, have been subdued by the power of God so that we have gladly bowed our knee to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today, have you bowed your knee? Have you bowed in your very heart of hearts and said, Jesus, take the throne. Take the throne of my heart and sit on that throne. Getting off the throne of my own heart. You, Lord, deserve that place. And take it. So this is what God has done. And and, and so we can be thankful uh, that uh, God has delivered us from 
this bondage that we were under, this bondage to sin, this bondage to self, and he has turned us from that rebellion so that we bow the knee. You know, on Monday we'll celebrate the freedom that we have in this nation and give thanks for our independence. Um, but we have an even greater freedom to celebrate, freedom from slavery to sin, freedom from uh, the bondage that we were in. You know, God has set us free if we are believers in Jesus Christ. He set us free from the penalty of sin. That's eternal punishment in hell. That's a blessing. He's also setting us free day to day from the power of sin. So we certainly, ought, this, is, this is reason for us to clap our hands and shout and sing. Verse 4, he will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob whom he loves. We've been studying Malachi in Sunday school, and the theme is that uh, God says to, the, to his people, Jacob, to his people Israel, I have loved you. I have loved you. Well, here it is. He will choose our inheritance, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. So this great king uh, chose his people, and that includes us today. He chose us from the foundation of the world. He chose our inheritance. Our inheritance is not just the promised land in, in the Middle East today. It, it is eternal life. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's all that God has planned for his people. Ephesians 1 says, In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself. And why did God choose us? Why did he decide to love us? Well, that too is part of the secret decree of God. We may not be able to understand why there's so much evil uh, and, and why it's allowed to continue in the world. Neither can we understand why God chose us out of all the peoples on the earth. There are many people that God passed by. And they are going on in their sin to their, uh, to their ultimate end, which is uh, not, not a good thing. Why did God choose you? Why did he choose me? That's uh, his secret but he has chosen us. He has loved us. And that, that reminds us that because God is sovereign in salvation, uh, there's nothing for us to glory in except the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So you and I, weren't, we were not sons or daughters of God. We had no inheritance except the inheritance of the evil one, which is the lake of fire. We had nothing but when we were adopted into the family of God by faith in Jesus, we were given an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, as Peter said, reserved in heaven for you. This is our inheritance. Not just some land, piece of land in, in, in the Middle East, but an eternal inheritance in heaven. Well, turning to verse 5, we read that it says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And and gone up, of course, or, or ascended. It's, it's, it's a picture of a mighty conqueror ascending his throne after a great victory. And this is what our Lord Jesus has done. You see, when he died and rose again uh, and accomplished his victory over sin, hell and death he ascended on high and was seated on his throne uh, certainly the Jews would have thought 
back to uh, the, this idea of the Ark of the Covenant coming into the temple, being brought perhaps back into the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And the Ark, you see, is seen as the place where God is enthroned. But we know ultimately it's speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 says that Jesus is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he not only ascended, but he was enthroned at the right hand of God, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that's named, not only this age, but in the age to come. We don't know what it was like because we weren't there, we're not told, but when Christ entered, re-entered heaven uh, after he had conquered sin and death, what kind of reception must he have had? Certainly, there would have been great fanfare, trumpets, and singing, and great praise. What a fitting welcome the angels of God would have given our Lord when he ascended on high. So he is now enthroned. Jesus is our great God and King. In verse 6, we have another exhortation to praise. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King. Five times in verses 6 and 7, we're exhorted to sing praises. So singing is important. Uh, one of our hymns says, let those refuse to sing that never knew our God. Okay, you don't like to sing. You want to just be quiet. You want to let others sing. Well, you're acting as if you don't know God. Now, uh, singing implies joy. Singing is an act of praise. And it's commanded. Right here in the scriptures. Uh, now, if we can't sing or sing well, as you've probably heard, we should at least make what? Joyful noise. <laughs> make some noise, right? It's okay if it's not perfect. Uh, very few of us have perfect pitch. Not me, uh, that's for sure. But as we sing his praises in, in our worship service, uh, we need to do so with as much gusto and joy and effort as we can muster. Uh, sing loudly. Uh, sing as if you are excited. You should be excited. But not only that, we are called to sing his praises intelligently. Verse 7 says, sing praises with understanding. When we sing the psalms and hymns, uh, the content and our understanding of that content as we sing is of supreme importance. Now, uh, the, the tune is, is a good thing. It's a helpful thing. Um, there are good tunes. There are lesser tunes <laughs> that we can use. Uh, our emotions, again, we've been talking about joy. And we've been talking about getting excited. It's part of it. Uh, but without understanding then it becomes empty praise because you know anybody can get excited you you can be stirred up by things other than the word of god but we're called to sing with understanding spurgeon said in his commentary the treasury of david by the way i'd recommend that commentary to you on every psalm of the bible plus other ancient writers that he quotes on each and every psalm he said, sound doctrine praises God. And, and, we, and we would have to say, we all agree, that far too many praise songs 
that are written today are devoid of much doctrine at all, and worse, they contain uh, bad doctrine. And so we have to sing with understanding, sing with discernment. Uh, just this week I received a text from uh, a Christian friend of mine who doesn't live around here anymore, but and he, he said, um, uh, what do you think about uh, this worship music I've been listening to? And, uh, you know, he named the, the name of, of the music, and, and I think he was already suspicious that maybe there was something not quite right about what he was listening to. And, and I encouraged him to simply compare with Scripture what he was singing and to think about, um, to use discernment. And uh, there, there are praise songs that are shallow and, and simple. That's not always bad, but we need to go beyond that. Um, and we need to make sure that the theology of these things, of these songs that are written are biblical. And sometimes all you have to do is, is to look at the source. Uh, who's writing these songs? What do they believe? And what, what, is, their, what is their church teaching and we have to be all the more careful when a song is emotionally moving. Okay, when when a song moves our emotions, uh, our heart becomes a little softer and open to whatever message is there in that song. Uh, if it's true, then good, good. But if, if there's something false in it, uh, then uh, that's not good. Uh, so. Be careful. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. That's an odd phrase to us, teaching and admonishing with psalms and hymns. It doesn't say sermons. It says the things that we sing. So uh, these things that we sing are instructing us, and uh, so our, our, our singing must be based upon the sound doctrine of Scripture. And again, that's why singing psalms is so wonderful. You don't have to worry. When you're singing the psalms, you're singing Scripture. And God's Word is pure. It always exalts God for who He is. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't uh, hide the fact that, that we are sinners and so forth. It informs our understanding. It is helping us to worship with understanding because it's teaching us. And good hymns do the same thing. Uh, good praise songs do the same thing if, if their content is biblical and sound. We also need to pray for the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to sing with understanding. And if we don't comprehend at some level, if we're not thinking through what we're singing, uh, if we're just going through the motions, then it's empty praise. Uh, so what does God call us to do? He calls us to praise him with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Verse 9 says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. So, uh, again, we, we saw that with Joshua and David and, and others, the victories that God brought about. But then we look at Pentecost. God's rule was extended there, not through military might, but through the preaching of the gospel. And that hasn't changed. That is the method by which God reigns over the nations today. Um, uh, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. How does it come? 
uh, not with sword, uh, not with uh, you know military might, but with the preaching of the gospel, with the witness bearing to the gospel of all God's people. Uh, Adam Clark in his commentary said that God reigns over the nations when by the preaching of the gospel they're brought into the church of Christ. When someone is converted to Jesus Christ, joins the church, is baptized, and then becomes part of a worshiping community, a worshiping and witnessing community, uh, then that soul has been conquered uh, and subdued by the Lord. So, uh, you and I as believers, we are the means by which God is conquering the world. We're soldiers in his army, aren't we? Um, we have many hymns that talk about that. We have scriptures that talk about that, but it's metaphorical because our our uh, warfare is spiritual, not carnal, not fleshly. Our Lord Jesus Christ sits upon the throne of his holiness. It reminds us that God's kingdom is a holy kingdom, that He his subjects are called to live holy lives that is separated unto him. Uh, I, I read an article recently that talked about, and it was written by an unbeliever. And the, and the unbeliever was talking about a lot of the, the large churches today that are just simply, they're, they're basically teaching and imitating everything that the world is already doing. And this unbeliever says, why would I be attracted to a church that already that offers me everything I already have in the world. Uh, if you're going to be the church, in other words, you got to offer something different, and that's what we're called to do. We're, we're called to offer uh, a, a, the God who is holy. Uh, we present a holy God, not one that wants to entertain you, but one that wants to save you and change you and sanctify you, so that you begin to live. A holy life yourself. Salvation is all of grace. It's sovereign grace. But that grace so works in us to produce uh, an imitation of Christ. And one that seeks to live a holy life. So if you and I are not in some sense at some level pursuing holiness. Okay. And again, that's a very outdated concept. Even in the church today. Uh you're very seldom going to hear a sermon, live a holy life. It just doesn't happen much anymore. Uh, But if in some way we're not pursuing personal holiness, how can we rightly sing praises to a God who sits on his holy throne? Well, verse 9 concludes with a scene where princes, nobles of the nations are gathering together together, and they're called the people of the God of Abraham. These are people from other nations, but they are included as the people of the God of Abraham. Again, the psalmist is looking into the future when the Gentiles will come and be included in this Abrahamic covenant. Hosea 2:23 is a prophecy. It says, Then I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they shall say, You are my God. Galatians 3 says, those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. It's going to be a really amazing thing for us to see Abraham in heaven. 
the father of all the faithful, as he is called. Verse 9 concludes, For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. That's, uh, again, a phrase that we don't tend to think about much. The shields of the earth. Shields certainly represent protection in battle. But they're also uh, the insignia of pomp and rank. The shields usually would have some insignia on them. And the protectors of the nations, you see, with their shields, uh, owe their strength, owe their ability to protect their people uh, to the one eternal God who is highly exalted. And before his shield, all other shields must bow. Spurgeon wrote this. He said, those who are the earth's protectors, the shields of the commonwealth, derive their might from him. And are his. It's a good reminder for us and our own nation today as we celebrate our, what are we celebrating tomorrow, by the way? We're celebrating victory over the forces of England and the tyranny of King George. And you see, it was only by the help of the Lord that this victory was achieved. And since then, of course, we faced other wars and other difficulties as a nation And most of the time, those who are in authority in our country called for prayer. Most of the time, the churches went to prayer for the nation uh, as they faced these, these wars and difficulties. And when we have humbled ourselves and acknowledged our dependence upon God in prayer, the Lord has answered. The Lord has been our shield. I want to refer you as we close to something that was written by George Washington in 1789. It was one of his uh, several proclamations of thanksgiving. And notice the parallels with Psalm 47 in this proclamation. I'm going to read from it. It says, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, to humbly implore his protection and favor that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country and also that we may unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to enable us all to perform the duties, our duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people. And that, that's a novel thought, right? That government should be a blessing to people and not, not a source of consternation, like so often is. Um, and that, that it would be a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed. To protect and guide, okay, so this is part of, of Washington's uh, desire and prayer that God would protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, all the shields of the earth, to bless them with good government, peace, and concord, and finally to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, which means the Christian faith and the virtues that are taught therein. He appeals to the Lord and ruler of nations. Man, I, I, I pray for our leaders today 
that they would imbibe the spirit of George Washington in this pronouncement. May we join him in giving thanks uh, to the great king of nations and pray for all nations, including our own, that we should acknowledge Christ as Lord and promote his kingdom for the shields of all the earth belong to him. And remember this, uh, we proclaim Jesus as king, but one day, and a lot of people will say, no, I don't want... I don't, I don't want him as my Lord. But one day we know every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is king to the glory of God the Father. Until then, we do what the psalmist did. We call the world to submit to the sovereign king who has defeated his enemies and to acknowledge that even though it may not seem like it, God rules the world. He is the king of the nations. He is exalted. And that should be enough to make Presbyterians shout, clap, and sing. We're going to do that here in just a moment. Let me pray.